Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey everyone, welcome back to Seeking Witchcraft. I'm your host, Ashley, and today I have on a special guest, Catherine, owner of the Quadrivium Supplies, a handmade ritual oil website. Today, Catherine is going to talk to us about all things oils, including how to make them for yourself. So Catherine, thank you so much for coming on. Can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Well, thanks so much for having me. Uh, my name is Catherine. I'm from Chicago. I have been practicing some form of magic for about 30 years. Um, I started early on in my 20s. You can do the math on that one. And I started making oils when I realized that the ones that I was using uh, were making me sneeze. So I ended up learning how to make my own. And about 12 years ago, I developed it into a business. Awesome. You know, one of my favorite things to do pre-ritual is douse myself in ritual oil. I have this one oil that I, I don't even know exactly what it's made out of, but I call it like the witchcraft oil. It just smells so magical and amazing. And I went back to the store I bought it from to buy more of it. And unfortunately, they diluted it. and It oh, doesn't no. smell as good anymore. And I'm like, dang, I really wish I knew what was in this because I would try to make this myself. Well, that's one of the things about oils, and that's why they're useful, is that it's almost like a shortcut to a very primitive part of our brain. Uh, scent is an extremely strong uh, trigger for us, where, like you said, it's the witchcraft oil. It's a very quick way to get us into a ritual headspace or magical space. Um, eventually, I think you train yourself. When I smell this... I'm ready to do magic. My focus is on the divine. And that's one of the really useful things about oils is they almost give us a shortcut. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I only use this oil when I am about to be in circle or try to connect with my deities that I follow outside of whatever. And it's very special oil. I love the way it smells. I wish I could put it on 24 seven, but to me, I keep it as a separate thing to help get into that ritual mindset. Because when I do smell it, I'm like, okay, it's time to do witchcraft. It's time to do magic. It's time to talk to the gods. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, um, that's actually a terrific way to use an oil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So what should we get started with first? I know you and I talked previously about a bunch of topics for this episode, one of which at the very end, Catherine is going to grace us with an amazing recipe of how to make our own oil. So I'm super excited to hear more about that. But what would you like to start with? You know, we can start with just about sort of general oils in general. I talked about why we use them. You know, it's sort of a trigger. It goes straight to the lizard brain. Uh, we associate memory with oil very strongly. Uh, like there's a particular soap that as soon as I smell it, I can see my mother in my mind's eye washing the dishes. If I don't smell that soap, I might ha not have such a clear picture of her in my head. So that's just an example of one of the ways that scent bypasses our conscious brain. So, you know, oils and botanicals have been used medically through history by 
you know, lots and lots of cultures. When we talk about the Egyptians, they used a combination of essential oils and plants and resins to mummify humans and animals. Um, and they even invented a rudimentary still for extracting oils from plants. And, you know, then you got the Greeks and the Romans and, of course, Christianity came in and uses both oils and incense in a religious sense. So just about every culture has used oils and incense and just about every religion uses oils as well. So, you know, a whole variety of purposes, mundane and spiritual. Yeah, I was going to mention definitely outside of smelling it and having that memory triggered or getting into a virtual mindset, there's definitely the aspects of magic with oils of putting it in a spell that you're doing to try to connect to the certain properties of the plants and that are associated or from that oil. And I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because I know that's something we do want to talk about (laughs) at one point in this episode. But I know that's definitely another way that oils are used in the craft too. Absolutely. And uh, what we're about to talk about with the tables of correspondence is, uh, unfortunately for your listeners, one of my favorite topics, and I know it's not very exciting, but I think it's exciting. <laughs> I'm fascinated by them. Um, so should we go ahead and talk about that? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Um, so when we make an oil, we are working with the spirit of a plant. Um, you know, an essential oil is basically the most distilled and pure form of a plant that exists, making it very powerful for people in nature-based religions. Um, it's a little bit of the plant spirit, or at least that's how I think of it. And so when we are working with things, and this can go for just about anything, colors, candles, oils, tools, we're working with a table of correspondence. And that's a table or a list of objects or even beings or concepts that's linked through supernatural connections. And that's also a principle of sympathetic magic. I'm not sure um, how much your listeners have learned about spirit, about um, sympathetic magic. Um, at the basic level, it's the concept that like affects like and like produces like. So, you know, James uh, Frazier in The Golden Bough, he separated magic into two types, which is magic that depends on the similarity of two things and magic that depends on the contact between two things. And I won't go into that too much. That's, you know, not very exciting to talk about. But tables of correspondence is one of my particular interests. And that's when we have, it's the whole as below, so above, as above, so below. It is a link between the human and the divine. And so when we say something means something else. This candle is yellow because of the table of correspondence, because yellow represents wealth. And it's a connection between two things on different planes of existence. And it's a table of correspondence. It's a way of categorizing information, which is basically matter to non-matter and physical to mental, spiritual or divine and symbols to concepts. So, for example, when we're using the color green to represent wealth, we're using as a, a color as a symbol for an idea. Does that make any sense? It does. And this is why it's so important that when people are doing spells or whatever, that they, just like you said, they're working with the spirit of the plant that's associated with the oil. And fragrance oils 
may smell like the plant that you're using, but they do not have the plant material in them. At least more than likely they don't have the plant material in them. They could very well just be completely synthetic. Yeah, I am I am not a real big fan of synthetics. I don't think that any oil is made with the idea of the scent of roses means X, Y, or Z. No, what they mean is the plant, the rose, means X, Y, or Z. And one of the interesting things I have found when making oils is that sometimes the essential oil doesn't smell like you would expect it to. Um, that is very, very true. I've had some essential oils that smell very strong and not a good way. And I've also had some essential oils that were very, very light, which I did not expect. Um, now that also made me wonder how pure they actually were, <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely come across some varying levels of scent, uh, and oils and some of them don't smell as good as you would think. They did. They don't. Um, so with, in terms of magical oils and tables of correspondence, um, the idea is that everything has a sort of a signature that connects it to symbols and meanings. So oils and herbs and plants have these correspondences. And the correspondence may be, like I said, with green to wealth, or it might be pink to love, red to anger. So those are feelings that we're linking with colors. When we use green as to say it represents wealth, we're using it as a color, as a symbol for an idea. And if that makes any sense, I recognize that it's a, it's a little weird, but I, so, you know, if I want to attract wealth, I'll use a table of correspondence to choose a candle color, for example. And that will be determined by the correspondence that I use. And not everybody is going to use the same table of correspondence. I think that tables of correspondence are an intensely personal thing. And there's lots of sources. Uh, the one that most people are familiar with are built from earlier sources, which were then built from earlier sources. And it's almost impossible to find what we'd consider a primary source for a table of correspondence. And it's really only possible to go back so far. You know, you can't really open three books of occult philosophy and page through it to pull out a bit from a wall of text. That's most people are just not going to do that. So, but when you're directly trained in an initiatory tradition, uh, your initiator order will provide the table of correspondence that's used in that tradition. But the odds are pretty good that in the Western mystery tradition, that the tables of correspondence are from essentially the same place. And I'm not sure if, if anybody's interested in looking up uh, particular tables of correspondence. The book that I recommend is um, Bill Whitcomb's Magician's Companion. Uh, my own favorite is Stephen Skinner's Complete Magician's Tables, but um, the Whitcomb book has a lot of overlap and is organized in a much more user-friendly way. Um, so those are good books, I think. Um, so one of the things that we do when we're using the table of correspondence is we decide what we're going to use from it. Uh, we make our choices. Um, and for a lot of these tables of correspondence, we are sort of missing 
the middle part, because there's something in the middle between green means money. Originally, the tables all had to do with planets for the most part. So you would have, for example, the planet Jupiter, which is represented by the color dark green in some tables of correspondence. But Jupiter also represents uh, abundance um, or money-making. So basically what you're doing is you're connecting the color green to the ability to make money because those are both correspond to the planet Jupiter, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. This actually reminds me of a conversation that I had with my friend who runs the Artemis NYC YouTube channel, mm-hmm. who actually connected us. And um, they had a whole conversation about how a lot of people, when they first get into witchcraft, they read these books, just beginner witchcraft books that say, okay, green is for money. You know, this color is for this, this color is for that, you know, red's for love or whatever. And they were talking about it and they said, you know, sit down and ask yourself, do you actually connect with these colors for these, you know, feelings or emotions or what you want for it? And why is it in your mind that green is for money? Is it because a book told you that? Or is it because you truly feel that way? And if if you feel that way, that's fine. Or to your point too, if you were using the planetary correspondence, like definitely an A plus way to go, in my opinion. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But that workshop really made me think about it because I said, you know what, like, why do I associate these colors with these different emotions or not necessarily emotions, but like these different ways of how I would do magic just because I read it in a book five years ago doesn't mean that that's how I actually feel to this day. And that, that's actually, when I said it's intensely personal, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, in general, you know, the missing planet for love is Venus. And so the color pink is associated to Venus. The emotion of love also associated to Venus. So we associate pink with the feeling of love. Um, and the smell of roses with the feeling of love. Well, if you had a really bad experience with roses, maybe somebody gave you roses and then dumped you, you know, or you had somebody you didn't like who wore a rose-based perfume or whatever. And so you smell roses, you put them in your ritual oil, you buy a commercially produced ritual oil, you put, you know, you use it in your work and you say, oh, this is, this just, this isn't any good. I hate it. In which case then your personal table of correspondence cannot associate rose with love you have to find something else and it's interesting to me that some people will continue to attempt to force themselves to use a particular scent or a particular herb or a particular color despite the fact that it doesn't work for them because they feel that is what they are supposed to do yeah and if you're listening to this i would challenge you to sit down and write out what colors you think are associated with things, you know, based off what you have been quote unquote told or picked up over the years and ask yourself, do you actually jive with that? You know, green being for money, that can maybe be the case for a lot of people who live in the United States. But if you live in a different country where your currency is not green, then maybe that doesn't actually vibe with you. And, you know, ask yourself what colors actually make sense in your mind for these different things. Um, I do want to say, though, 
and again, I actually, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I will add this little snippet that sometimes when you are using particular oils for, let's say a deity or something, um, this goes with incense too. It's not always going to smell good to you, but the deity might really like it or the spirit or whatever you're using the spell for. Um, sometimes they like some really rank smelling things. <laughs> it is just kind of what it is. Yeah, that's, I, yeah, and not every smell is going to be something you love. And that's also intensely personal. Like, I cannot stand vetiver. I know a lot of people who just love vetiver, and they love patchouli, and they love those really dark, earthy scents. And I, <laughs> no thank you. I don't like them. Um, I prefer citrus and um, sort of the spice oils as well. But that's just my personal preference. I've smelled way too many people at music festivals just doused in patchouli and no other deodorant. Let me tell you, in the 90s, in the 90s, the patchouli, it was everywhere. But um, (laughs) yeah, so that's not a real great memory for me. So I'm probably not going to associate patchouli with anything great, no matter what it (laughs) says on the table of correspondence. See, I don't mind the smell of patchouli, but as long as somebody's wearing deodorant with the patchouli or has at least showered recently, then... I like patchouli at its core, not mixed with body odor, if it can be yeah. Anyway, so we were talking about, you know, the tables of correspondence. Um, so we're going to use planets, or we're going to use colors, or we're going to use herbs. But what we're actually doing is we're choosing them as tools. We're using them. So in and of themselves, they're not all that important. What's important is that you can use them effectively. So um, just as an example, um, let's say you want to attract wealth. So you use your table of correspondence to pick a candle color. Then you might go and look at another table to determine which planet affects an idea like um, abundance. Or go look at another table and see which day of the week is ruled by a particular planet that represents abundance. So you design your ritual and you know that you need to use a green candle because that's related to Jupiter on a Thursday, which is the day of Jupiter. So those are the tools we're using in order to get the result that we're looking for. You know, when you put it like that, it sounds so easy. (laughs) No, I mean, it's not uh, because there's lots of different kinds of correspondences. And as you said, you know, it, everybody has to work through it on their own. You can start off with a table from your initiator, from a book, um, from an order, what have you. Um, But you really do. You have to work through it and see how it works for you and Mm -hmm. find out which scents give you that shortcut, like your witchcraft oil. Um, What is it? What smell is it that puts you in that mindset? What is the smell that makes you think of money or love or sex or health? And you really have to go through and and work on it for a while. And it can take a really long time. Um, I generally tell people you can smell about three or four oils and then you have to stop because your nose gets confused. So if you're, you know, working on your own correspondence, you need to um, don't try to do it all at once because you're just going to end up with a headache. My local witchcraft or occult shop has little coffee beans out to try to smell that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, and for those who don't know what I'm talking about, um, 
if you supposedly, if you are smelling a bunch of smells at one time, like let's say you're in a candle shop or in this case in a cult shop and you're going through all their oils, the, it's supposed to be that if you smell the coffee beans in between, it kind of refreshes your scent. Uh, I find that it kind of works, but when you're smelling a bunch of scents at once, sometimes it just kind of all melts together in your nose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've always found it really interesting that, um, you go and you pick a candle color, maybe based off a chart you found on Pinterest. But what you're actually doing is using a color that was determined by a planetary chart from the 14th century. I always, I always think that's really cool that a lot of these tables are really old and a lot of different people have worked with them. And so it has ended up like, as I said, the middle part gets lost. Green means money. Well, you know, green is the planet of Jupiter, and abundance is a quality of Jupiter. But green doesn't connect directly with money. It connects it through the planet Jupiter. But it's done it for so long that the planet has sort of dropped out of the middle. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I've noticed the the longer I'm involved in the craft, I'm not big on astrology in the sense of, like, horoscopes or what's your astrological sign. It's just not for me. Um, but, but, you know, teach their own. However, I have been finding that the planetary correspondences or the planetary energies are very, very widely used in the craft. And I actually do like those a lot. (laughs) And it's something that I would like to know more about. It's just something over the last couple of years, I've kind of been more keen to looking towards. And um, yeah, I mean, this just happens to be one of those things that actually ties directly in with that. Right. Absolutely. It does. Um, I use the Chaldean uh, planetary hours and days, which is a Babylonian astrological system. And um, it's a sequence of planets. And the sequence always is Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Sun, Venus, Mercury, Moon. And then it repeats. Sounds like a, like a jingle for a commercial. It does. <laughs> it does. Um, and it is the arrangement of the planetary spheres. And so each day is ruled by a planet, as well as each hour of the day. And, you know, it gets, you get into the weeds on this. Um, Seven days of the week, seven planets. Each planet rules or is lord of one day. Sunday, the sun. Monday, the moon, and so on. Um, But planetary's hours aren't the same as 60-minute hours beginning at midnight that we use for normal timekeeping. Uh it gets really, you know, it's divided into 24 planetary hours. First hour of the day begins at sunrise. (laughs) Last hour of the day ends at sunset. Um, Sunrise to sunset, sunset to sunrise, and 12 hours that are split between 24 hours. So it's, honestly, I really like it, you know, when people, like, do their own work. There are planetary hour and day apps, and you should absolutely use them. This is so off topic. <laughs> like we're just going down this rabbit hole. But Sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. Have you ever heard, and I am probably going to butcher the full name of this and the author's name, and I apologize in advance because I have not personally done it, but I know people who have. Have you ever heard or have done the, uh, it's something like, it's a book called like The Seven Spears by God, Rufus Ophis? Oh, Rufus Ophis. Yeah, Rufus Ophis. I, I know of it. I've never gone through it. Okay. Yeah. Um. 
I, I've never gone through it, so I am not speaking from an expertise or experience here. But from what I've heard about it, you essentially do some sort of ritual associated with the planetary uh, or the planet of that day that you're doing it on. And you have to do it within the planetary hour. Mm-hmm. And you can either spread this out over an entire year. You can spread this out over a month, over a week. But it can get a little complicated because sometimes, you, first off, if you work full time or if you, oh, you know, if yeah. you have children or whatever time restraints you have in your everyday life, uh, sometimes the planetary hours are not keen to a um, uh, regular schedule. And I know of people who've had to wake up at like three in the morning to do a ritual and they oh, had to. I've done that. That's why, I, you know, mm-hmm. I these things called electional oils that are actually done. Um, electional astrology is a branch of astrology that calculates when the best time to do something is. And so there would be times when I would be up at five o'clock in the morning and I had little kids at the time. So I would give them bowls of Cheerios. <laughs> And then run down to the basement and light incense and do a ritual in order to make the oil. And, um, but yeah, it, it can be super inconvenient because they have to be done like the sun is at this position, the moon is in this position, the, this planet is, con- you know, in a conjunction with this other planet at 3.22 a.m. And this position of everything lasts for four minutes. And so in those four minutes, you have to complete whatever it is you're doing. Um, it's a very persnickety kind of magic. It's like the shit we do for magic, right? Right. The things we do. (laughs) The things we do. Uh, It's pretty crazy. So anyway, I recommend like there's programs and there's apps because otherwise you're like calculating sunrise to sunset converting it to seconds and doing it by 12 and then yeah it's um it's a mess so i recommend either using a program or an app to do planetary hours yeah i know one of my students she has a widget on her iphone that Mm -hmm. she just looks at her phone and it tells her exactly what planet is doing whatever absolutely i have i have two of them i have one on my desktop and one on my phone it looked um, pretty useful. I just didn't want to pay the five dollars for it, and I was like, mm, maybe, maybe a different day. <laughs> I'll download yeah. that once I get a little bit more um, knowledgeable in this topic. I may spend the five dollars. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm just being I mean, cheap. I don't know. You know, I think it's one of those things where I feel like it gives an extra push, just that extra little bit of spe- uh, specificity, I guess, to your magic when you're asking for something in particular, then I think it's a great way to really sort of drill down into, okay, what am I asking for? And how, how would I go about it? You know, like you're looking at the sun and you're looking at Jupiter and you're looking at the moon and you're looking at their various qualities and you have to look at the qualities and say to yourself, okay, am I trying to increase abundance? Am I looking just for money to come in from somewhere? Am I looking for money to continue coming in? And that's what you want to do is all going to relate to when you do the ritual in terms of hours or days, because you really have to think about it in order to choose a particular planet. 
Yeah, you know, I'm one of those people that I'm very much of the mindset of when I want to do a spell for something or whatever I'm doing, my schedule gets pretty hectic. And if I have the time, I'm going to do it right then and there. But, you know, now over the years, I've also started considering that, hey, you know, maybe I can check the planetary hour or the day or like see what the moon is doing right now. Because maybe if I wait a couple hours or even 10 minutes or a day, I might have a little bit extra push towards whatever I'm doing. Um, And, you know, why not get that little, little, like, extra? I don't want to say extra credit, but, you know, know, when you do something nice for the teacher and they just bump up your grade a little bit, they'd flip it up. You know, why not? See if it works. But sometimes you got to do what you got to do with the time you have and it is what it is. And maybe you don't want to get up at 322 in the morning. I respect that. (laughs) You know, if you know yourself to be like, yeah, you know what? I don't care how much of a kick it's going to give my magic. I'm not getting up at 322 in the morning. Exactly. Fair enough. (laughs) Why not? I believe one of the things that you had wanted to talk about was how to do different things with the same ingredients. Yes. Yes. How to do two things with the same herbs. Right, which actually relates back to what we're talking about with the table of correspondence and the planets. So uh, let's say, I'm just going to go back to Jupiter. <laughs> Jupiter is kind of my favorite. <laughs> we're so just typing up Jupiter, Jupiter today. Yeah, it's all about Jupiter. Um, so Jupiter represents a lot of different things. It can do um, like abundance and authority and growth, but it can also be stand for success, but also faith, but also law. (laughs) You know, those are all, you know, various aspects of Jupiter. So you have a plant that corresponds to Jupiter. And uh, let's say two Jupiter plants are like um, sage and nutmeg. They probably wouldn't smell very good together. But those are two herbs that you could use for Jupiter. So you might use the same herb to represent two different aspects or, you know, a plant or an essential oil to represent two different aspects of Jupiter. So we'd use the same thing or the same herb or the same oil, but you would be using it for a different purpose because that would be another aspect of the planet. So, you know, sometimes you can just have a limited number of herbs or a limited number of oils and do a lot with them. That's pretty useful. As long as you, yeah, it is. I I find it. (laughs) I find it useful. You know, especially in this day and age where uh, (laughs) things are so expensive nowadays, you know, right before this episode, we were just, you know, chit-chatting. We were talking about the price of groceries being insane. (laughs) Oh, so uh, herbs are, are, uh, they are not immune to the rising cost of everything right now. And so if you could do two different things with the same one, I mean, that's great. It's like buy one, get one free. We're two for one. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know we do want to talk about how to make your own oils, but there's a bunch of things that need to come before that, such as yes, what are, what are essential oils? Like, you know, how can you even find essential oils? How do you even know if it's real? Um, and I'm sure other things associated with oils as well. For sure. Um, so essential oils are either steam distilled or pressed, uh, from the plant. Um, you know, you take a handful of sage and you toss it in the distiller and it distills down into sage essential oil. I'm, you know, oversimplifying to a great degree. Uh, essential oils are 
almost always going to be plants. Um, I know I see a lot of things out there advertising like frankincense essential oil or dragon's blood essential oils. Those are not true essential oils. What is happening with those is they're being put into a solvent, which is perfectly acceptable, but it's not truly an essential oil. And, you know, some things are very hard to make into an essential oil, so it's going to be very expensive, or maybe a tremendous amount of the plant is needed to make the essential oil. Can I ask what a solvent is? A solvent is uh, something you use to dissolve. Uh, I don't know. It dissolves another substance, basically. Okay. Um, So you might have, because, for example, frankincense is a resin, So you can't really distill a resin. So you put a solvent into it that makes the resin dissolve, and you can distill that. Gotcha. Okay, I see. All right. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I was was sitting here, and I was like, you know, I've heard this word a million times, but I actually don't know what it is. Yeah, there you go. That's what it is. Um, So you can cold, you know, it can be cold pressed, which is a way that people can make their own oils. If you take usually an oil, or excuse me, usually a plant that has a fair amount of moisture in it, like for example, uh, basil leaves, those are pretty easy to find. And you crush them up uh, in with a mortar and pestle. And you mix them up with, I usually use uh, almond oil. And you mix it all together and you stick it in a cool, dark place. And you leave it there for, I don't know, a month, two months, you pull it out, you will have basil oil. It's not going to be nearly as strong as a distilled kind, but it still will be an infused basil oil. And so those that's useful. If you can't go buy an essential oil, you can make a cold pressed oil yourself. Uh, it also saves money. <laughs> and um, I, I'm a big fan of what I kind of call dollar store magic. Uh, I am not somebody who's going to go and spend a hundred dollars on a little bottle of oil if I can possibly avoid it. So something is either an essential oil or it is not. You can't have something that's sort of an essential oil. Either it's an essential oil or it isn't. And there is one of the risks when you're working with essential oils is that there is no regulation of the essential oil market. Uh, So you'll often see labels that say things like uh, massage grade or medicinal grade. None of that means anything. Um, I could call it living room sofa grade because oils aren't graded in any way. It is a marketing term, not a purity marker or any kind of indicator of the quality of the oil. It's just a marketing term. So you don't necessarily know, because there's no regulating body, how strong your oil is. Uh, So you do have to be careful. You always have to check the label to make sure it says 100% essential oil. Another thing you should look for is the Latin name of the plant. If it's a true essential oil, that will usually be on there. And if you're buying an essential oil of one plant, there should only be one plant's name on it. Something that I've seen before is 
an oil that says it is peppermint oil, but then it has three different Latin names on it. Those are all forms of mint, but only one of them is peppermint. So, you know, that's that's something to look at uh, very often. So aromatherapy blends, for example, uh, they might have essential oils, but they can also have synthetic fragrances. Uh, and then you want to make sure that it's an undiluted essential oil, because very often when it says something like a mix or a blend. Usually that is a blend of essential oils and a base oil, which is something like almond or olive oil. Almond is probably the most common. So that's just something that you have to be on top of. But as I was saying, with regards to, you know, kind of being cheap, there's no reason you have to go and buy a little bottle of essential oil for $50 from a particular seller. Brands like Now Foods or Acacia, all of these brands that now sell it like Whole Foods, the Vitamin Shop, even in Chicago anyway, Walgreens, you will have a fairly large selection of essential oils and those are just as good. They are every bit as good as the super expensive ones because you know what? They're all essential oils. So there's really no benefit in buying the expensive stuff unless it's a very rare oil, unless you need it distilled in a particular way, if you know the person who's making it, if you want it from a single source, or you want it from an organic or wildcrafted source, that might be a reason you would pick a particular company. But in general, I have found that the oils that I buy at Whole Foods are just as good as the oils that I have ordered from occult shops online. Now, if somebody is making their own oil and they, whatever carrier oil or, um, that they're going to put with it, is there any type in particular that you would advise against using? Olive oil. Olive oil spoils really fast. Um, really? It's Olive oil? Okay. Very tr- it's very traditional. A lot of people use it, and I think that's great. But when I am making oils, I do not put any kind of a preservative in them. So that's always going to be a risk. With any kind of oil you make that involves a base oil, like uh, Yehoba or, well, technically that's a wax that's liquid at room temperature. But, um, you know, almond oil or olive oil, um, those things do go rancid. So the longest you want to keep an oil is probably a year, and then you need to toss it. Because if it's been sitting there that long, it's uh, either about to turn or it will have already turned. But yeah, the base oil, um, you know, that that's up to you, whatever you choose. I find almond oil to be uh, the best in terms of how the oil feels and how the oil looks. And it's got a very neutral scent. It doesn't really smell like anything. So it picks up the smells of the essentials really well. So you wouldn't recommend anything like canola or corn or vegetable no. oil, vegetable oil. Those, <laughs> like are, those are for food. Um, you know, if it's something that you're going to fry an egg in with olive oil aside, it's not something you should be using for a ritual setting. I mean, if there's literally nothing else, I guess you could grab a bottle of Crisco, but I wouldn't recommend it. That Those have a scent that will mix badly with the essentials generally. You know, that could be a way to connect with an ancestor. 
It <laughs> could you, be. If you had an Absolutely. ancestor that used a lot of Crisco in their cooking, then, you know, you, you want to connect with them. Could be. <laughs> Maybe put a little could bit be. in your ritual oil. Right. But, I, you know, if you're just making a straight up ritual oil, I think I would say, you know, almond oil all the way. For me, anyway. I think almond oil is generally a little cheaper, too, than olive oil. Yes. Yes, definitely. And then I think you put vitamin E oil, right? I do. A little drop of vitamin E. That's an antioxidant. And it helps uh, make it last a little bit longer. And the nice thing about vitamin E oil is that you can find it pretty much anywhere these days because it's good for your skin. But you do have to look at it and make sure that it's not synthetic. You have to make sure it's natural vitamin E. So when people are making their own oils, is there two parts to one part this? Um, like, for example, with the vitamin E oil, you know, I know it can come in capsules, for example, or you can buy it in a bottle. Is there kind of like a ratio that you use or do you measure it exactly? Well, it's a if you're making one, it would be in terms of drops. And that's another thing where you're just going to have to experiment unless, you know, until you find what you like. Uh, you're gonna have to just keep working on it, kind of. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things where you don't know how it smells when you first mix it. May not be how it's going to smell in two weeks. Um, I had a oil that I made that smelled terrific, but because I sell these, I always, you know, I cap them and I put them in a dark place. I smell them one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and so on before I would ever sell it to anybody. Two weeks came and I took it out and I smelled it. And I said to myself, cat urine. It was exactly what it smelled like. And it was like, well, this isn't going to work as ritual oil. It's gross. That sounds so, awful. <laughs> you know, that one got dumped out and that was the end of it. So, you know, but that's, that's a thing that's always going to happen. Um, you're going to screw up. That's just kind of how it goes. Um, you're going to mess up and you're going to make things that smell terrible and you just sort of have to shrug and keep going. So what has been the hardest oil you've ever made? Oh, that's a good one. Um, the one that took the longest to make was one that's for... It's called Fortune and Favor, and it's, you know, sort of a general good luck oil. And I had trouble with the proportions because it has a bunch of stuff in it that all have relatively strong scents. So I had to mess with it constantly in order to figure out what the best mix was going to be. I mean, it was just I would make it and I would wait a little bit. And then I would stop and then I would wait, you know, I'd do it again and then it would be terrible. So I'd have to start from scratch. And that's really, you know, that was the most difficult one for me. It was tricky. I uh, one time tried to make my own incense and I I know this is not necessarily related to oils, but I did mix a bunch of essential oils together to soak the incense rods in because I bought blank Mm -hmm. rods and or sticks. And first of all, I found that that was a very expensive process because Mm, uh, essential oils, the ones that, you know, it just, it can get pricey. And the amount that I really needed to soak it was uh, not enough uh, for what I put in. And um, it was really a shame because I used so many of my oils and it smelled really great. And I let it soak for a couple days. And when it came time to burning it, one, it 
burned terribly. And two, it just, it did not hold the scent at all. Yeah, that's, that's one of those things where incense is definitely something where I'd rather leave it to the professionals. You know, I'm, I'm not going to do it nearly as well as somebody else. But yeah, fortune and favor was really tricky. Um, and it was really annoying to make because one of the ingredients is vanilla. And vanilla can be super overwhelming when you add it to something. And in fact, I had to end up using making my own cold pressed vanilla rather than essential because it just took over the entire mix. There's a couple of scents that are like that. Vetiver is like that. Vanilla is like that. Jasmine will just knock any other oils out of the scent. It's just going to be 100% jasmine. And Fortune Favor does have jasmine in it as well. So it was a lot of very strongly smelling um, scents that all had to, I had to work out what proportion it was going to be. And my, I keep my notes in spreadsheets. And so this particular oil has like four, four sets of spreadsheets where I'm writing terrible things like yuck in the, uh, in the margins. <laughs> <laughs> Just yuck, turn the page, start again. So yeah, that took a really long time to develop. I love looking at like personal notes to yourself, like in your journal of experiments you may have tried and just like seeing like all the notes that you've write that are not um, like you wouldn't write that at like your job, for example. And it's like things like ill or like this was disgusting or like this reminded me of X, Y, and Z. Um, I always think that's kind of funny to look back. Yeah, on. I haven't. And my development notes are all things like use less of this this time. And there's one particular uh, oil that I make that has um, a very small amount of one particular essential in it. And so in my instructions, it says, just kind of wave the bottle at it. <laughs> you know, just don't, you know, kind of, kind of let the bottles look at each other, but don't put too much in there. So, yeah, <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. Yep. You got to be careful with some of them. You do have to be careful when you're buying oils. Um, because like I said, there's no control over them. There's no rules for what something is. And you do have to be careful because some of the oils are not great to handle. Um, citrus oils can make your skin burn. Oregano oil can just straight up burn you. I've gotten a second degree burn from oregano oil before. So oh I think gosh. in magic, yeah, I think in magic, we tend to have this idea that everything natural is good and safe. And you know, if we think about it for a while, okay, you know, hemlock is natural, not going to eat it in a salad. So you do have to take a number of safety precautions with essential oils. Um, you know, you just can't start handling them and be like, oh, no, it'll be fine. It's natural. You know, it's, it's natural, yes, but it can also be difficult to handle correctly. Uh, and then when you're making your own oils, there's some oils that need to be diluted a lot. Oregano is one of them. But for example, my banishing oil and my drive away oil both have oil of cayenne pepper. And, you know, that's essentially mace. <laughs> you don't want to rub it in your eyes. Yeah, that sounds um, not great. <laughs> no, you have to be really careful with some of this stuff. And so there's precautions that you have to take. I think with any oil, when you don't exactly know the ingredients or you don't exactly know what your reaction is to certain plants. Because if you're allergic to some plants, you were, you know, that is a very, very concentrated version of that plant. You will have an allergic reaction. 
You know, I was just saying on the last episode that I did, or one of the last episodes I did about uh, cinnamon, and there's this whole thing of like blowing a cinnamon through your door for abundance. And I guess the type of cinnamon that I bought was pretty high grade cinnamon. It was actual cinnamon because a lot, uh, take a shot every time I see a cinnamon, the amount of cinnamon that's out there that's not actual cinnamon, but it's marketed as that is pretty high. But um, I put a little bit on my hands and I walked and I did my little abundance thing, you know, blew it through whatever and immediately washed it off. I only had it on my hands for maybe a whole minute, like if that. And I ended up getting burns on my hand and for a long time, like it was burning for a long time and I washed it pretty thoroughly and I looked it up and cinnamon oil can cause reactions to the skin if it touches bare skin. And here I was thinking, oh, like this is just the powder. This isn't anything crazy. You know, I bought this at the grocery store, but I can't even imagine like pure cinnamon. I can tell you a horrifying story if you want to hear it. Yeah, Um, let's hear it. Okay. So cinnamon, it has, you know, different aspects and different, and one of the aspects, not one that I've ever really recognized is for potency. So there was a guy who read in the book that cinnamon was good for potency and could be used to heat up sexual attraction. And I think you can probably see where I'm going with this. Heated up something, all right. He was not going to be any kind of potent for a very long time. (laughs) So imagine how it is on your fingers. Now imagine what that was like in more sensitive areas. Yikes. That sounds horrible. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I met him a couple of years later and he was like, oh, I got to tell you this story. And I'm like, that's, um, that's awful. <laughs> but I'm so glad you told me because that's going to make a great story. Yeah, so, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah, there's all kinds of, you know, and there's, I, that's just one of those things where you do have to learn it. You have to learn about uh, your reaction to some of these oils and some of these plants and what you can handle and what you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, a mistake that a lot of people make is thinking that their ritual oils need to be pure essentials. And they don't. Um, they also tend to think that essential or that their ritual oils, you need to slather everything with ritual oil. And uh, even though it's like literally my business, I don't think people should use too much ritual oil. Just a little bit on the fingertip is fine. You don't need to pour it all over your candle and all over your tools. You'll end up with stains all over the place and, um, you know, your table will be all goopy and you're alterably full of oil. And even though it's my business, I don't like having furniture full of oils. Yeah, oil is so difficult to clean up, too, because, I mean, it's just, oh, it's... it just stays there forever. Yep, it does. It does. So I was going to walk you through a little bit of what you would do in order to make an oil. Yeah, let's go. Let's hear it. Okay. So one of the things that I use in my – I'm just going to say this. Uh, one of the things that I use in my oil is I use botanicals because when I am making oils, I am making them for a particular purpose. And there's only so many smells with essentials that you can fit in one oil. Um, And so I use botanicals and minerals, um, materia magica, basically, the the materials of magic in the oil to add aspects to it. So, for example, you know, you might have a 
tiny little lodestone to attract things or a rose petal rather than um, rose absolute, which is like $200 a milligram. So that is another way to make your oil more affordable is by rather than going out and saying, okay, I need 17 different kinds of essential oil. Well, maybe you need five different kinds of essential oil and a couple of things from the spice section at your supermarket, and that's going to make it a lot more affordable. I'm just giving away all of my secrets here. But <laughs> when you, so when you're, you're going to make an oil, right? Okay. Um, you have to decide what kind of oil you're making. You know, is there a, for, is it for a specific work? Is it an astrological oil to work with a planet or a star or a sign? Is it an herbal oil? Is it a general one? Is it an anointing oil? And then you need to, de- uh, to decide what you want to take into account when you're making your oil. Do you want to do it with a table of herbs and plants? Do you want to do it with the lunar calendar, like we were discussing, the planetary days and hours, or, you know, other considerations? Um, and then you have to go collect your ingredients. Um, you know, health food store, occult supplier, you got to read, as I said, the labels and the descriptions very carefully. Um, your carrier oils, again, available at most health food stores, Whole Foods, the vitamin shop, all have things like almond oil. Um, and then you are your solid and powdered herbs, and you can get those at, at the health food store, supermarket, botanicas. Um, if you haven't garden, of course, you can grow your own herbs. I live in Chicago. I do not have a garden. I don't even have a yard. So um, I get them somewhere else. Uh, You will also need dark glass container for the oil with a screw on top. Um, I know that on Instagram and on TikTok, you have all of these people with little bottles of oil with a cork in it. It's a bad idea. Um, Oil degrades the cork and the seal will not be tight. And oil will also eat away at plastic. Uh, you also need, it needs to be dark glass to keep the light from it because the light is what makes it turn. So you want to have a, a dark bottle with a screw on cap. Um, in order to make your oil, you will probably need plastic pipettes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, like the things when you're in, you know, middle or high school science class. Those yes. little plastic things you squeeze at the end, you suck up all the water, liquid, <laughs> drop it on the and slide. This is going to be nuts, but you can get them on eBay. Um, eBay, eBay, eBay's got a ton of them. Nice. Um, just hop on eBay and order a bottle or a bottle, order a bag. You know. You know what? I I actually have something to add about those pipettes. Sure. Um, I I had a, a, like two or three of them, and I used them. Actually, funny, I was using them when I was trying to make those incense rods, and I was mixing all my oils together. And um, because the, some of the essential oil bottles I had didn't have a dropper built into the lid, I had to use the pipettes, which was fine. Well, also with those droppers, it's very difficult to control the amount you're getting. That's the pipettes true. Pipettes are much more um, precise. Yeah, easier to control. Yeah, and so I have these pipettes, and I after I use them, whatever, I ran it through water a bunch of times, ran it through soap and whatever, and I thought I had cleaned it. And then, you know, fast forward a couple months later, I needed to give a very precise measurement of a liquid to my cat, and I found the pipette, and I was like, oh, this is great. I can use this because I, I needed a dropper, really, but I didn't have one. And before I put the the liquid in it that I needed to give my cat um, for medication, I said to myself, let me just put some water in this pipette and drop a drop on my tongue or so just to make sure it actually is clean because it looked rather clean. 
And what do you know? The first drop was just chemical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, thank thank the gods I did not give this to my cat without testing it first. And it immediately went in the trash. And that's when I learned that, yeah, you can't really clean those once there's you oil in there. You can't clean them. You can't reuse them. But you use it with one bottle of oil. And then I, I won't even tell you how many of these things I go through. It's a reason I know that they're pretty cheap on eBay. I order them in bundles of 500. Um, and I go through it relatively quickly. Um, so it's, yeah, you have to be careful with that and restrict it to um, each essential has pipette. And when you're done with that particular project, throw it out. Um, it seems wasteful, but you really can't start mixing them around and you really can't reuse them. Um, and I tend to use gloves when I'm mixing oil. Uh, like I said, people can have allergic reactions to them. And also there's something that can happen called sensitization, where your body just becomes sensitized to the oil. Since I've been doing this for 12 years, I try to keep the oil off my skin if I possibly can, because if my body decides to become sensitized to a couple of different kinds of oils, I'm going to have a problem because <laughs> it's my business. So, um, but those are, those are basically what you need. And of course you need your formula or you know, maybe what you think is going to be your formula, <laughs> but you still have to mess around with it. Um, and I also like to have some little funnels on hand. I don't know where you would buy them. I know where I buy them. I just get some little plastic funnels because when you're, I like to add the essentials first and then pour in the base. Uh, and in order to do that, you really need a funnel. So fan of funnels <laughs> so would you recommend like any groupings of scents like any scent profiles that you could recommend to somebody new who doesn't want to waste all of their oils like i did with my incense rods <laughs> trying to figure out what yeah. smells good <laughs> well i do have a list of oils that i tend to recommend like have this on hand type of stuff if you're going to start making your own oils there's just a couple of them you can pick a few and i'm gonna give the correspondence as well as the name of the oil just as you know this is from my correspondence tables um there's lavender uh which has a lot of uses but primarily love and health and then you can select one of lemon mint or pine for cleansing did you know pine pine sole originally had essential oil of pine in it i can believe that and there's a reason why everything we use to clean our bathrooms is lemon scented. Have you ever noticed that? You know, that's a good point. I, I, I'm a big fan of citrus smell. So. Oh, I do too. I never I really it. gave it a second idea, but yeah, you're right. It's usually some sort of citrusy smell. Yeah. Um, so rosemary or basil is usually a good for something about the home or to repel evil. Bergamot is good for increasing your personal power. Uh, lemongrass can ward off evil and bring luck. Uh, one of my personal favorites, bay laurel, which is um, power and victory and triumph. And allspice can be luck. And then cinnamon generally is used to represent money. And those are just a few oils that I, I would tend to have on hand. And just from that list, it can kind of sort itself. You have the lemon, which is citrus. Bergamot, which I think sort of can fall under citrus lemongrass also kind of citrusy and then you have something like bay laurel and allspice and allspice is a spice scent and so is cinnamon 
So, you know, that's kind of, uh, it's, but again, it's going to be scent is such a personal thing where what smells good to me might not be what smells good to you, which is one of the reasons it's a great idea to try making your own oils. Um, but yeah, the, you're going to, I tend to, when people are first starting to make their own oils, I do not recommend putting more than about three or maybe four essential oils in your mix because your nose is going to get confused and it might develop in weird areas. And that's when you really have to watch your proportions because depending on how much of one or the other that you use, it's going to completely change the scent. So I tend to say, keep it down to like three when you're making your own, at least to begin with. And that's when, if you want different aspects to the oil or you want to back something, you know, you want to add additional oomph to something, that's when you can start putting in the botanicals. Uh, the order I usually do is botanicals, essential base oil is generally what I do. And always remember less is more. Oh yeah. That's, that's so important. Um, you know, just, whether you recognize it or not, two or three drops is going to have an effect. You will smell it. You might not, it's not going to smell the way it does in the bottle of essential oil, but you're going to be able to smell it. I promise. Plus two, if you're letting it sit for a little bit and to really just meld together. Yeah. Could smell different in a week or two. Yep. Could smell terrible in two weeks. <laughs> as I have experienced tragically. So after everything that I said about how, resins are not essential oils. I just realized the recipe that I'm about to give you uses two resins. <laughs> so Love it will it. <laughs> say essential, it will say essential oil on the, bo on the bottle. It will say, you know, uh, frankincense essential oil, but you will know because you have listened to this, that is actually dissolved in solvent, but that doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, so it is, a. Uh, in my records, it's called a dressing oil. It's um, it's an anointing oil. Uh, you can use it on yourself. You can um, dilute it, of course. Uh, you can use it on your uh, devotional items, on ritual items. It's just sort of a general oil that smells pretty good, uh, I think. You know, that's going to be up to you whether or not you like it. Um, generally, I start out with sandalwood. Uh, about six drops, myrrh, about three drops, and frankincense, about three drops. And then you're going to add your base oil. You're going to cap it and shake it up and stick it somewhere for a week. You're not going to use it immediately because the scents need to sort of meld together and get where they're going. And after about a week, you can use it pretty much however you want. It's a good sort of ritual oil for all purposes, which is why I'm giving it out. <laughs> and then there's another one that I'll give because sandalwood can kind of be pricey. That's bergamot, ginger, and pine. And that is uh, four parts bergamot, one part ginger, and one part pine. And that is a personal power oil. Bergamot is a scent that relates to personal power. Uh, ginger, in this aspect, uh, corresponds to luck and protection, and pine is purification. So it mixes all of those together into what I consider like a personal power oil. 
Well, hopefully the pine won't turn into a cat pee smell. <laughs> it won't. Uh, you just have to, like I said, some of these, you just kind of have to wave it. But that's why you do drops instead of like bottles. And, you know, when I give a recipe, like, um, you know, six drops, three drops, if that doesn't smell good to you or it's too overwhelming, pour it out. Do it with smaller amounts. You can mix it up however you want. That's just how I do it. I think these are great recipes for people first starting out. I think that they are all things that are simple enough to find in your local store or even even online um, now that you have a little bit of an idea of how to actually decipher labels for essential oils. And yeah. and now that we've discussed how they are ungraded and unregulated and love that. Just love that. For it's us. like the Wild West out there. It really <laughs> is. Um, the multi-level marketing companies have really taken over the mm. oil business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what you're paying for in those is the name. You're not, they're not actually better than anything else. They're not more pure. It goes back to that whole therapeutic grade. One of the multi-level marketing companies actually came up with and trademarked the term therapeutic grade. It means absolutely nothing. Oh my God. And for the love of every and all deities that are out there, do not eat your essential oils. Oh yes. I've seen a not lot of ever. pictures of people with MLM oils, like Seasoning well, the reason, for, the reason for that with them is that because it's a multi-level marketing thing, you have to sell them fast and you have to keep selling them to people. So the people who are selling them will tell you just about anything to get you to use them. And um, do you remember what I said about oregano oil mm -hmm. and burning my skin? Guess what's considered, quote unquote, great for your uh, immune system? Uh, the idea is that you put it in a capsule and you swallow it. Oregano oil. Now, the capsule is going to dissolve in your stomach. And the reason you have to put it in a capsule is because it would burn your throat going down. Once it's in your stomach, I guess it doesn't burn. But just imagine the kind of damage it's doing to your internal organs if it's something that'll burn your skin. You know, I remember one of my best friends, um, I went over to her house. This was probably like 10, 15 years ago. And she was telling me about oregano oil and how great it was. And mm -hmm. she gave me a couple drops straight from the bottle and no burning or anything. I didn't. And back then I didn't know about what I know with oils now. And, um, you know, I am just very grateful that whatever she bought was obviously not a pure essential oil even though it was definitely well, marketed or like you that. didn't re or you didn't react to it. I mean, that's I had a fairly strong reaction to it. Some people do, some people don't. But again, you don't know unless you start messing with them and then it's like, "Oh no. <laughs> All my fingers feel like they're on fire." And that's not a thing you want to have happen. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> please be careful if you're doing this. Use gloves, use precaution. Be careful. And use just a little bit. Uh, more is not better. But like I said, I'm, I'm going to put myself out of business because I'm telling people not to use too much oil. <laughs> what I really should be telling you is absolutely dump it over your head and then go get another bottle and dump that one over your head as well. It will absolutely make your magic work faster. Alas. <laughs> <laughs> that is not the case. I think, you know, using, um, if you're using on yourself like fragrance oils, sometimes you have to use a lot. Well, actually, sometimes they're very strong. Um, it kind of reminds me of teenage 
boys in particular who axe body spray. Y- yep, you knew exactly where I was going with my that. Kids, you know what? <laughs> Only because I spent today. I volunteer. My kids are in high school, and um, I was at the high school today, and I happened to be in the hallway with a bunch of adolescent boys, and I was like, I'm just gonna die. This is so bad. <laughs> I mean, I have girls, so that's not as bad, but man, those adolescent boys, woo. Yeah. Nothing like the smell of Axe body spray or Old Spice. Just... And, and body odor. And, and body odor. Can't forget that. Adolescent sweat. Yes. Because, you know, if you use enough body spray, you don't have to take a shower, right? Yeah. And, you Ugh. know, a lot of these high schools, too, my high school, I know when we had PE classes, uh, we didn't have showers we could use. There were showers there, but we were told we were not allowed to use them. And they didn't have shower curtains anyway, so I wasn't trying to do that regardless um yeah i cannot my my uh, kids school has showers but i don't think i can't think of anybody them saying that anybody has ever used them yeah so. they're kind of they're there as a formality i feel like so you know sometimes Decorative. you gotta you gotta spray yourself with something after a heavy gym class on a hot day but uh yeah less is more Oof. less is more yes definitely when it comes to oils but i you know i tend to view a lot of things that way um so it was wonderful to speak with you. Um, oh, I yeah. hope that I didn't go off onto too many tangents or sound, uh, you know, go down any rabbit holes. But um, as I said, I, you know, like I said at the beginning, I've been doing this for about 30 years. And after a certain point, you forget that you had to learn these things. Does that make any sense to you? Oh, absolutely. Um, things become second know, nature. and you They just become second yeah. nature. I'm like, oh, well, why doesn't somebody know x y or z and then i'm like you know i didn't always know x y or z it's just been long enough that i forgot that i had to learn it you know like um burning resin incense you have to use charcoal with it that wasn't something that i knew immediately or where to get the charcoal to burn resin incense like that that wasn't something that i just knew one day i woke up one morning and i said oh the little round self-lighting charcoal of course somebody had to tell me that but i didn't remember learning about it so you know that's always something i try to watch myself with is i'm like wait a minute am i going down a rabbit hole that somebody's not going to be able to follow because they might be at a different part in you know, a different position in learning magic. And I don't want to jump ahead and say, well, obviously you should know what I'm talking about because, you know, 20 years ago, I didn't know this either. So, you know, that's just one of those things where I I really have to watch myself as I'm like, no, 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 they're not going to know that, you know, especially when you're on a podcast like this one, which is aimed at beginners. Yeah. You know, I remember a bit ago, I saw somebody on some Facebook forum and they posted a picture of their incense. They had a stick and they said, oh, my incense burned in this circular pattern. What does it mean? And everybody was bragging on this, this girl who obviously was very new to this. And they were all telling her in not so nice of ways that, oh, the meaning of this is that you didn't blow it out after you lit it and you just let it burn down. And I was just like, well, yeah, oh. I've got a I've got a whole spiel that I do about candles and candle care. And that, you know, your candle might be burning wrong because it's a message from the gods. But 90% of the time, <laughs> it's these other things. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a whole thing that I go into because, of course, we use oils with candle magic. So I've learned a fair amount about candles as well. Um, you know, maybe if you want to do a follow-up, I, uh, I can come on and talk about candles. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's very exciting. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm full of super exciting information, like tables of correspondence and candle care. Yeah, no, I, I'd love Everybody's to have. got to have a hobby. <laughs> I'd love to have you come back anytime, and um, we can definitely discuss things like that because that, that's a whole topic on its own. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've got my, you know, I make some reels sometimes for for Instagram, and the one that f- went all over the place was me showing how to use a upholstery needle to etch your candle you know that you didn't do it with a knife you don't do it they just use an upholstery needle you know it's a big thick sewing needle you just scribble idea. your stuff in with that yeah i mean there's, there's just little things like that that you figure out like how to anoint a candle so that you don't drown the wick um you know all sorts of that sort of boring thing um anyway so yeah my uh, website is ritualoils.net the company is quadrivium supplies uh, we sell ritual oils and nothing but ritual oils. Uh, there's no readings or spells or instruction or anything like that. Um, so there's a number of uh, retailers that carry them, but you can also buy them directly from my website. Awesome. And do you have any social media information or people can follow you or an email um, or anything? People can reach out if they have any questions. Sure. Uh, you can reach out to me at uh, info, I-N-F-O, at ritualoils.net. Uh, I am on Instagram as Quadrivium Supplies, one word, and I'm also on Facebook as Quadrivium Supplies, one word. If you want to get in touch with me personally and not necessarily the company, you can contact me at Catherine, which is C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E at ritualoils.net. Awesome. And if anybody wants to get in contact with me, my... uh, Twitter is at Seek Witchcraft. Instagram is at Seeking Witchcraft. I have a Facebook page where I mostly just post memes, but it's called Seeking Witchcraft Podcast. And there is a Facebook group associated with the podcast called Witches Seeking Witchcraft. Um, Please feel free to join that. I also have a Patreon where you can support the show if you feel so moved. And that is patreon.com slash Seeking Witchcraft. Pretty much if you Google Seeking Witchcraft, you'll find me (laughs) somewhere on the internet. Same same thing here. Google Quadrivium Supplies. You'll find me. I'm there. (laughs) Well, Catherine, thank you so, so much for coming on. This has been such a wealth of knowledge and information, and I feel very inspired to go make some oils now. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't use too much. Yes, yes. Less is more. (laughs) All right. It was terrific talking to you, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. And thanks to everybody who listened. Have a good afternoon or evening whenever you're listening to this. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.